Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Welcome in, everybody. Here. Episode 7. We. 37. Yeah. Oh, the Air Sports Podcast presented by Betfred Sportsbook. It is Friday, July 21st, 2023. People, I hope everybody's doing I hope everybody is having a great day, and I hope everybody is ready for the FFE, the fun Friday edition of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Here is what you need to know about today's show. We're going to open, kind of putting a bow on SEC Media Days. Obviously, Tuesday we or Wednesday, we did some reaction to Monday and Tuesday from Nashville. Today, we talk about what happened on Wednesday and Thursday. Lane Kiffin going off on the establishment. We'll talk about that. Nick Saban with some very interesting comments about his team. And oh, by the way, a very interesting development from that Georgia Kirby Smart Atlanta Journal-Constitution story. We'll discuss that. From there, one quick college hoop segment, Cooper Flag, many believed to be the number one high school player in America. An interesting new development in his recruitment. Well, it's new if you don't listen to the Aaron Torres pod. Something I told you would happen with this kid's recruitment has. And finally... We wrap with America's favorite podcast segment, Aaron Right, Aaron Wrong, hitting on my best and worst takes of the week, including quite a few from SEC Media Days. So we got ourselves a jam-packed Friday show. It's July. The news ain't slowing down. So let's not waste any more time, and let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, as I just said, SEC Media Days, as I record right now, officially done. For the 2023 season. And oh, by the way, the last ever SEC media days with 14 teams is now in the books. Obviously, last next year, Oklahoma and Texas joined the fold, but we put a bow on 2023 on Wednesday and Thursday. On Wednesday's episode of the pod, of course, we talked about what happened on Monday and Tuesday in Nashville, focusing on Jimbo Fisher, Kirby Smart, and Brian Kelly. Since then, seven more coaches have spoken. Uh, on Wednesday, it was Nick Saban, Billy Napier of Florida, uh, who else? Sam Pittman of Arkansas, Mark Stoops from Kentucky. And then on Thursday, Lane Kiffin going off, Josh Heupel of Tennessee, and of course, Shane Beamer as well at the podium. So I want to kind of hit on what happened in the last two days. But really, the bottom line is there is one big story 
that has sucked all the oxygen out of the room and made all of the headlines coming out of SEC media days on Thursday. And those were some comments from Lane Kiffin. And remember how I said a few days ago, not that much interesting comes out of media days. Well, I stand corrected because our boy Lane Kiffin is not happy about the state of NIL. He's not happy about how it coincides with the state of the transfer portal. And so I want to talk about what Lane Kiffin said. But let me start by saying this. Kiffin went on probably about a two, two and a half, three minute rant on NIL and the transfer portal. I have condensed it down as much as I can to hit on all of the major talking points. I'm going to read you what he said, but just be warned. The next like minute or so, I'm going to hit on what Kiffin says because there's so much to get into, so much to discuss. Here is Lane Kiffin from Thursday SEC Media Days talking transfer portal, ta- talking NIL and transfer portal. He said, it's phenomenal that players get a chance to get paid. I do think, which I've stood up here and said before, when NIL first happened, that there's going to be some major issues and we're creating free agency with the transfer portal. I don't think there are really any other sports at any level that are like this, that really you every year can opt into free agency, really twice a year. What if you had it in other sports? Tom Brady, Asia Wilson, Lionel Messi, LeBron James. What if every year those guys can opt into free agency twice a year, really, and they have no long-term contracts? Basically, everybody is not even on a one-month contract because they can leave in two different windows. It's created a lot of issues and roster changes. I'm not complaining about it because we take advantage of free agency, but at the same time, I don't think that's really good for college football. These massive overhauls of rosters every year really is not in the best interest of the sport. There's, There's your state of the union on what coaches are dealing with around the country. A poor system that isn't getting any better is now going to get worse. It is what it is. We'll deal with it like we do with everything else. But somehow, it's got to get fixed because there's no system around it. All right, so a couple things. One, first of all, just so everybody understands, when he talks about there being free agency and he talks about you can opt into free agency twice a year, what he's talking about is the transfer portal, is that essentially every player has the opportunity to leave at any given time. So I wanted to get that out of the way, and I want to share some reaction to what Lane Kiffin said. And before I say, even if I agree or disagree, what I agree with, what I don't agree with, let me start by saying this. Whenever a coach of Lane Kiffin's magnitude speaks out on a topic like this, I think the natural reaction of many in the media and certainly fans is to criticize the coach. Oh, how can this guy be so upset? He's a millionaire making millions of dollars and we're supposed to feel bad for him because his kids have options. Get over it, dude. Deal with it, dude. You make millions. These guys make nothing. Like, like, feel awful for the players. Feel bad. Don't feel bad for the coach. So let me start, you know, with a baseline this. I actually am not going to criticize Lane Kiffin uh, for saying what he said. I think that's the natural reaction from a lot of people who, frankly, I don't think are either very educated or they want to sound smart or they want to be sophisticated, whatever. One, I'm not going to criticize Lane Kiffin because... I love the fact when coaches speak out, right? So so in my business, in you guys as consumers, the bottom line is we want coaches and players and athletes to say stuff. And then when we do, we then when they do, we criticize them. Oh, you know, he should have never said that. And oh my goodness. That, no, no, no. Lane Kiffin is speaking out because he believes it's what's best for college sports. Whether I agree or disagree, 
I appreciate that he is saying what is being discussed behind the scenes. I appreciate that he's saying what he really believes. It's easy to go to the podium and do coach speak. It's easy to go to the podium and say nothing, knowing that you're going to not get criticized for saying nothing. It's a lot harder to go to the podium and be 100% authentic to yourself. And one thing I'll even you know use a, a real world analogy here. It's kind of like my business, right? I think there are a lot of guys and girls that have gotten far in my business because of the fact that they never say anything controversial, never say anything interesting, never go after anybody. And I'm kind of the exact opposite. I, I think my, my loud mouth gets me into trouble sometimes, but I'm not afraid to tell you how I really feel. I'm not afraid to share a strong opinion. I'm not afraid to disagree with the consensus. And I don't blame Lane Kiffin for saying this because again, it's what coaches are saying. Beyond that, let's keep in mind also, if we want change, if we want something universal, whatever it is, you got to have people speak up. And that's why I'm not going to criticize Lane Kiffin either, because it's one thing to whine and this and that and moan. It's another thing to say, like, change needs to be made. I'll give you another example from college sports. Over the last couple of years, Pat Narduzzi, the pit coach, has been very outspoken about the portal and about tampering. You want tampering to stop? Maybe it never will. But it's certainly not going to stop if you don't speak out. And Lane Kiffin has spoken out on the portal. Uh, uh, Pat Narduzzi has spoken out on tampering. I'm never going to blame guys for doing this. And by the way, one last thing before we get to the reaction of Kiffin's quote. Stop with the, oh, he's a millionaire. He has to just deal with it, dude. I get it. I get that Lane Kiffin is being paid astronomical amounts to coach kids game. That doesn't mean that he is obligated to work 24 hours a day, recruiting his roster, re-recruiting them, game planning, recruiting two, three, four cycles in advance. Um, he's allowed to have a, a family, spend time with his kids, especially in the off season, because we know how much work people are putting in. Lane Kiffin, by the way, if you want to go after anybody, don't go after Lane Kiffin. I saw a few weeks ago, uh, one of his sons was graduating from something. I don't know if it was middle school or elementary school. He had a FaceTime with him. He missed his son's graduation because of portal or because of whatever. So spare me the, oh, he's a millionaire. Deal with it. I don't buy that. Now, in terms of what he said, a couple things stand out. First off, I, I, I do think Lane Kiffin, like a lot of these coaches, I do think he when he says, I'm, I'm happy the players are getting paid. I don't think he's lying. And I don't think he's lying when he says this is not the best thing for college football. You can be in favor of players getting paid in a reasonable system that isn't the wild, wild west, free agency, nonstop, 24-7, re-recruiting your roster, people tampering with your players, offering money that they may or may not be able to deliver. You can be in favor of players getting paid with legitimate NIL without the tampering, without the, you know, without the pay for play, all that stuff. And so what Kiffin is really talking about over the course of these comments is he's talking about something that we've actually talked about a lot on this show. When NIL first came into play, everybody was in favor of it, right? Um, everybody's in favor of the players getting more. Like, like when I hear people say, and I know I'm going in a lot of different directions, but just stay with me here. When I hear people say, oh, all you guys and girls that are anti-NIL, I don't really think that I know of anyone that's anti-NIL. What I do think is we have people like myself that are anti-completely unregulated, allowed to leave whenever you want, no accountability anywhere. If that makes me wrong, I don't want to be right. By the way, it does have a negative connotation on the players as well. You got guys that aren't graduating after four or five years in school because they transferred two or three times to go get the bag. So don't tell me that it's all about the players. 
It's all about the players. What about all these guys that are not graduating right now because of the fact that they've transferred so many times? And so I'm going in a lot of different directions, but let me rein this back in. And let me start by saying what Kiffin said is that nobody's anti-NIL, but it's NIL with the portal that has created craziness. He comments on something that I've talked about a lot on this show. Everybody wants to call the portal college sports free agency. And I've said many times, it ain't college sports free agency because every player in the NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, hockey, MLS, WNBA, whatever, every player isn't a free agent every single offseason, okay? But that's essentially what we have in college sports. And to Kiffin's point, we actually have it twice. Imagine if LeBron James, twice a year, could just get out of his Lakers contract, could just say, okay, I'm not happy with you. I'm going to play for the Washington Wizards or the LA Clippers or the Portland Trailblazers. Like that sounds crazy, but that's essentially what we're allowing in college sports. And so what Kiffin is saying is he's not anti anything. What he wants is what everybody wants, which is guardrails, which is accountability, which is a way in which players can get paid, but also there can still be a team element where a coach doesn't have to spend a ton of time re-recruiting his roster every spring and every fall and then recruiting new guys. Because I don't, I do think he's right. I don't think it's great for college sports to flip over your roster 25, 30, 40, 45, 50, 60, 70% every offseason. I don't think it's good for the team. I don't think it's good for the school. And as I said, I don't think it's good for players. Anybody who's transferred in college knows you transfer, you lose credits. You transfer a second time. And then you get the point. The one place I will disagree with Kiffin on, by the way, Kiffin had some other interesting comments. And I know I'm going in a lot of different directions. Again, forgive me. Um, he did have some interesting comments on players being employees. He said, that's always been my stance, but Greg Sankey talked me out of that. So I bring it up because the one place I do disagree with Kiffin on is that he basically does not seem optimistic that anything is going to change. Basically, he feels like this is the world we live in. It sucks. It's a lot. It's going to drive a lot of people out. I actually do disagree with that. Now, listen, I'm not a lawmaker. I don't work on Capitol Hill. I've only been to Washington, D.C. like three times, including once on a school trip where I actually got lost and almost missed the bus. Neither here nor there. That's another conversation for another day. But I bring it up because of the fact, by the way, I made it home safe in case anybody was worried. Um, But I bring it up because I, I do think that there will be at some point some kind of regulations in place. Now, people say, why do you say that? How are you confident? I'm confident because the most powerful people in college sports are trying to wrap their arms around this. Stuff doesn't get changed overnight. But Greg Sankey is a vocal advocate of figuring out a way to adequately compensate players without it being totally pay for play, without you know rumors and allegations and innuendo over who's actually getting paid what. I think that's another frustration of most coaches that Kiffin didn't even really address is that you have all these crazy reports of who's getting paid what. It's hard to separate fact from fiction. Again, in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes signs a contract. We know how much it's worth. Tom Brady, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, whoever. Where in college sports, a school can say, oh, we'll give you a million dollars. We'll give you 800000 We'll give you four hundred fifty dollars We'll give you three hundred fifty dollars And there's no way to know if that's true or not. Even for the player, there's no way to know if it's true. And so I just bring it up because... Um, because I, you know, I, I do think something is going to come of this, 
because college sports has the right people as the front-facing people on this. Greg Sankey, the most powerful administrator, has been to Washington, D.C. Nick Saban, the most powerful coach, maybe the most powerful person alongside Greg Sankey, has been to Washington with him. John Calipari went earlier this summer. So listen, I don't have all the details, and I know it's frustrating. But one, I do think change is coming. And two, for all the angst and all the frustration for these coaches, the product on the field hasn't suffered. And I think that is an important part. Now, I do think if this goes on too long, you're going to lose good coaches who just get burned out, who just say this isn't worth it, either retire early, go to the NFL, whatever. But I also think that that it is important to know all these problems, all these concerns that everybody says there are, it's still a great sport. It's still a great sport. Saturdays are awesome. March Madness is awesome. College football on a daily basis is awesome. I hear my buddy Joel Klatt from Fox say this all the time. The sport has net for all its problems. The sport has probably never been more popular than it is now. So as frustrated as Kiffin is, I do think things will eventually get better. It's like that old song. It'll all get better in time. That's how I feel about NIL and the portal. But boy, oh boy, fascinating in, uh, conversation from Lane Kiffin. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply couple other notes really quick from Wednesday and Thursday at media days. I don't want to spend too much time on, um, you know, on the rest because the Kiffin stuff was really, really, really the, 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 you know, the big stuff, but I do want to, to switch gears, do hit on a few other things. The first one, I thought Nick Saban had some very interesting comments about his team and especially his team coming out of last year. And you don't need me to tell you, you don't need me to tell you. That obviously, look, Alabama, it was a disappointing effort from Alabama over the last couple, uh, really last season, right? Two seasons ago, I thought they overachieved. Last year, I thought they wildly underachieved. Bryce Young was incredible, but outside of him, um, the team struggled and they were up and down. And as I've said many times, Nick Saban always likes to point out they lost two games by one point on the final play of the game, Tennessee and LSU. I would add that they want to play a game on the final play of the game against Texas A&M and barely survived against Texas and Ole Miss as well. And so I bring it up because even though Alabama went 11 and two, I do think it was a disappointing season. And so Alabama, what was wrong with Alabama? Well, if you listen to this show, one of the things I talked about, and I get into an argument every week with my buddy, Ryan Fowler, who hosts in Tuscaloosa about this topic. Ryan Fowler blames the defense led by Pete Golding, the former defensive coordinator who is now at Ole Miss. Ironically, we're just talking about Lane Kiffin. I said, I'm not a fan. I wasn't a fan of Bill O'Brien, the offensive coordinator who has since left the program to go to the New England Patriots. And if you listen to this show last year, I said, I don't really know what Alabama's identity is. Are they a, a run team? Are they a pass team? The, 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 you know, there's coaches that, and I'm not an X's and O's guy. You all know that. But there are coaches that put together a game plan and a plan 
And there are coaches that just call plays and hope for the best. And I thought last year, Alabama with Bill O'Brien as the offensive coordinator kind of just called plays and everyone want to blame the O-line and everybody want to blame the receivers. As I said last year, I don't think Alabama missed on every O-lineman in two straight recruiting classes and every wide receiver in two straight recruiting classes. I think part of it was the coaching. So that is a long-winded way to bring full circle what Alabama and Nick Saban said in his media appearance on Wednesday. He said, quote, about his offense last year. He said, quote, I think we became more Bryce-oriented. Pass, 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 pass. Four passes, to, t- to quote Nick Saban. And then he kept it going. He talked about his new coordinator, Tommy Reese, who came from Notre Dame. And obviously Notre Dame through the years has been very successful running the ball, especially between the tackles. He said, Tommy Reese is one of the brightest young guys that I've seen in a long time in this business. And he's been a great addition and brought a lot of positives to the offensive side of the ball in terms of ideas and how he relates to players, how he presents to players, his energy and enthusiasm on the field has been contagious. I think it's great to see a great, I think I see a great trust in our players with Tommy and what he tries to do from a leadership standpoint. So that might not seem like much, but to me, what has become abundantly clear is that while Tommy Reese wasn't the sexy hire as an offensive coordinator, if you remember when that job opened, people said, is Cliff Kingsbury potentially a candidate at Alabama as an offensive coordinator? Could Scott Frost be a candidate as offensive coordinator? But the truth is, is that I think this is the right hire because for Alabama, last year was about Bryce, 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 pass, 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 pass. Tommy Reese, I believe, will bring more balance to this offense, and I think we'll get them going in the right direction. Listen, the issue at Alabama has never been talent. It was game plan, execution, things like that. And so I see Nick Saban make these quotes. It sounds to me like there is a quiet confidence in the new offensive coordinator and his ability to not only relate to players, but to put together a game plan to highlight all those skills. Again, nobody's feeling bad for Alabama. I don't think anybody thinks they're going to go like six and six this year, but I keep saying it. people want to bury them. People want to say LSU's past them. I like LSU. I like Brian Kelly. They've taken like 40 players out of the portal the last two years because of depth, because of issues, because of injuries. Remember, When Brian Kelly took over LSU, 39 scholarship players was the program that he took over. The point I'm trying to make, there's a lot of holes to fill, a lot of things that need to be addressed on that LSU uh, roster. Everybody is so excited about LSU. um, And I think not enough people are talking about Alabama. And I think Nick Saban, I think there's a quiet confidence to how he's operating this offseason. Finally, there is one more topic or issue from SEC Media Days that I, I, I do feel the need to address. Uh, and it's something that we've talked about a lot on this show. And it actually didn't come at all from a coach, but instead, um, you know, a, a story off the, the field, right? So over the last couple months, I think I've probably been more critical of Georgia football than anybody else. And it kind of came to a head about three, four weeks ago when that scathing Atlanta Journal-Constitution report came out in which they highlighted a bunch of new speeding violations, car crashes, things of that nature. But also there was an allegation by the Atlanta journal constitution that 11 players at Georgia had been allowed to stay on the roster while being under investigation for domestic incidences, domestic violence, domestic abuse, 
sexual assault, things of that nature. And I apologize, by the way, because I know this is a very serious topic. Why I bring it up about a week ago, as we discussed on this show, Georgia sent a nine page document to the Atlanta Journal Constitution demanding a retraction of that story, saying that there were factually incorrect things in that story. And over the weekend, or not, not, excuse me, not over the weekend, on Wednesday, the Atlanta Journal Constitution not only ran retractions, saying that some of the things in the story could not be corroborated, but also they fired the writer of the story, Alan Judd. Now, I'll be blunt. I wasn't surprised by the firing because over the weekend, if you paid close attention, a story broke that Alan Judd had actually been let go from another newspaper, the Louisville Courier-Journal, in the late 1980s over a situation where he made up facts in a story. I can tell you as somebody who went to school for journalism and communications, there is no greater no-no in this business than making up your own facts making up quotes, making up your own stories. As a matter of fact, the lawyer who covered that case said something to the effect of like, yeah, it's easy to write sensational pieces when you can make up your own facts. So I saw that this guy had already been fired. I guess his LinkedIn bio basically omitted the fact that he ever worked at that place. And he's been at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for about 20 years. Well, he got fired and the paper did run some retractions. Most notably, the number 11 of uh, domestic violence accusations, players that were kept on the team, that could not be corroborated. And so, listen, I want to take a moment to say, you know, where Aaron was wrong, um, I got to own it. I went, you know, I, I, I do this show based off the information that's available to me. And when a paper of record in the state of Georgia, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, uh, prints a story, I think that everything in it is true. Um, obviously, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has some egg on its face. I have a little bit of egg on my face as well. Bottom line is, look, I've been in this business for a long time now, 10, 15 years. I worked at a major news desk, foxsports.com. The number of levels that an investigative story like that has to get through before it goes to print, I assumed it was pretty safe to assume that two, three, four copy editors looked at that story and corroborated everything in it. So I'm not making an excuse. I'm just stating a fact. I assume that if that story goes out, it's been double-checked, triple-checked, whatever. It wasn't. And so for the facts that I got wrong, I owe Georgia an apology. But again, the facts are based on the information I'm getting from the newspaper. I'll also say, um, I don't think it changes the fact that there are some things that Georgia football players are getting away with that two things. I don't think the average student would get away with, but more importantly, I think if the same things were going on at Alabama with Nick Saban, Texas A&M with uh, Jimbo Fisher, Dabo Sweeney, I still think this would be the biggest story in college sports right now. If you had all of, you know, first of all, there were still some players that, you know, with some whatever, but also even outside of the domestic allegations, um, there have been multiple, multiple, multiple dozens, dozens, dozens of traffic citations and violations. Now, some of them have been mine. I'm not here to say that, you know, a a kid that goes 62 miles an hour in a 55 deserves to be thrown off the team and never let. No, of course, that's ridiculous. But we did have 
a young woman, a staffer named Chandler LaCroix. We've used these names before. Devin Willick, two players, one player and a staffer in Georgia's football uh, facility died from a car crash. Um, They were racing Jalen Carter. Multiple other players have been arrested for not just speeding, but essentially drag racing. And I do think it's a problem. Kirby Smart, to his credit, has addressed that problem. Um, And I do think the fact that it keeps happening, some of it does fall on Kirby Smart. Now, again, I understand Kirby Smart can't be held responsible for every single thing his players do outside of the facility. And again, I'm not saying every traffic violation is the same. Going 64 in a 55 is not the same as drag racing. But I also have told you many times, you go through some of the individual cases there. It's clear that whatever punishment um, Kirby Smart put his players through, it didn't deter them from doing this. And again, I don't know what the punishment should be. I'm not paid $11 million a year to run a major college football program. But when you have players speeding, you have people getting in car crashes, you have people getting in car crashes that send people to the hospital and your players don't even miss a game. Yes, some of that is on Kirby Smart. So for whatever facts that I presented, that were 100% wrong because the source was 100% wrong. I apologize. But I do stand by that most of this is stuff that the head coach still needs to be more accountable for and the program itself needs to be accountable for as well. All right, so I'm going to do take a quick break, come back. When I come back, there is a very interesting college hoops recruiting development we're going to discuss. Uh, Cooper Flag, maybe the number one player in America, has a new school emerged in his recruitment. Take a quick break. Be right back. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. By now, you know Betfred Story started in 1967 in the UK, over a thousand shops in the UK, and they have now come to the United States and made a major splash. They are the presenting sponsor of not only all things Aaron Torres Media, but the Colorado Rockies, the Denver Broncos, the Cincinnati Bengals. And what I love about Betfred, Nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred does. I've been telling you that for a year. We have sent listeners of the Aaron Torres pod to Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. The Betfred suite at Cincinnati Bengals games is rocking. Betfred betters have thrown out first pitch at the Colorado Rockies games. Nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred. And here is what they are doing for you right now. How about this? Bet $50 on any game. Get up to $1,111 in free bets. Here's how it works. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app. Bet 50 bucks on anything you want to bet on. You automatically get $111 in free bets. But beyond that, you get up to $200 in insurance for your first five weeks as a Betfred customer, totaling $1,111 in free bets. I've told you for a year, nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred. They're the only book that I bet with. And I want to thank Betfred for being our presenting sponsor. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Do want to switch gears. And so it's funny, right? Because you go back to Wednesday's Aaron Torres pop. I said at the time, I said, listen, this is the first football only, no basketball show that we have had in quite some time. If you remember, I said, I, I said, look, we're going to probably switch mostly gears to football. 
But obviously, if there's a relevant basketball topic that comes up, we are going to hit on it as the summer progresses, even though this is a little bit of a slower time, right? Peach Jam ends. First of all, we get the, the summer, the spring recruiting rush with the portal. You get some NBA draft stuff, some late portal stuff. But really, Peach Jam, the end of the high school season, that's essentially where the basketball news really pretty much stops here for the next two, three months, at least until the fall when kids start to take official visits to campus. I bring it up, though, because there was one very interesting story and a very interesting update on a topic that we have discussed before. And so I want to get to it now. And it involves the recruitment of arguably, arguably the best high school player in high school basketball, Cooper Flag. If you remember, we talked a lot about Cooper Flag in the lead up to and during Peach Jam. 6'8 forward, originally from Maine, plays at Montverde Academy. Um, and it, I was blown away by how awesome he was at Peach Jam. Again, about six foot eight, a guy that can initiate offense from the, the, the point forward spot almost. Now he can go in the post and get you a bucket but can initiate offense, can catch on the fast break and get right to the hoop, can get through contact, can finish with both hands, not to be nerdy, really good basketball player though. Defensively, he was maybe even more impressive. Multiple games where he had a triple-double at Peach Jam involving blocks. I saw Adam Finkelstein, a great college basketball recruiting writer, say that Cooper Flagg is probably the best player that he has ever seen at under seven feet protecting the rim. In other words, you know, just great instincts for a guy that isn't super, uh, you know, super big, super long, but at six foot eight, he guards like a guy that's six, 10, six, 11, seven feet. So Cooper flag, we talked about a lot during uh peach jam. And we also talked a little bit about his recruitment. And if you listen closely, there were really two separate updates on Cooper flag. I did one kind of at the early stages of Peach Jam where I said, look, one, he is a 2025 kid right now, just finished his sophomore year of high school. But because of his age, it seems almost certain that he's going to reclassify and play college back, reclassify to the 2024 high school class and probably play either college basketball or go pro uh, in the G League Ignite or Overtime Elite. A year from now. So play one more year of high school basketball, then either go to college, G League Ignite, whatever. At the same time, what I also said in that first, uh, the, the, the first update on him, I said, look, it really feels like this is a heavy, heavy, heavy Duke recruitment and that the pro option seems to be legit. Well, during Peach Jam, I got some very interesting intel that I shared with you on a second update about Peach Jam a few weeks ago. And that was that I had actually heard that the UConn Huskies defending national champs and yes, my alma mater, that they could just be lying in the weeds, ready to pounce and get Cooper flag. Now, of course, when I said that, I, you know what I got? Oh, Torres, you're a homer. Oh, of course, you're going to bring your school into it. Blah, blah, blah. Listen, listen, my school is my school. It was cool to be in Houston this past spring. That has nothing to do with anything. I said, look, it, uh, facts are facts. The spades is spade. I think he's being recruited by UConn. I think UConn thinks they have a shot. Everyone mocked me. Everybody laughed at me. But the update that I want to share today is this. It is now starting to become common knowledge that UConn is very actively recruiting Cooper Flag, and that UConn thinks they have a shot. Here is an article 
from 24-7 Sports. I know I mentioned Adam Finkelstein's from a different writer named Kevin Flaherty. I don't think he likes me. He tweets at me a lot. Whatever. Neither here nor there. Here's what Kevin Flaherty wrote about Cooper Flagg. He said, everyone is trying to get Flagg, but nobody is far enough ahead that they've picked up a 24-7 Sports crystal ball. However, don't be surprised if this recruitment comes down to Duke versus defending national champion UConn. UConn is coming off winning the NCAA tournament and is closer to home, although still four and a half hours in a car. Duke, on the other hand, has John Shire. He is arguably college basketball's best recruiter and has made flag a priority. So, remember a week ago, whenever, oh, Torres, you're such a homer, it's because it's your school. Well, guess what? Where Aaron was right, because guess what? All the recruiting writers now are starting to say what I told you a week ago. UConn is very much in the mix for Cooper Flag. Now, to be clear, let me let me let me say this. I don't think UConn is a favorite. I'm not really sure that there is a favorite with Cooper Flag because he's very early in his recruitment. Remember, he is by technicality still a sophomore. So schools are limited, you know, up until a few weeks ago on how much they could actually even contact him. Um, and he really hasn't done the whole visit tour yet because, again, he just finished his sophomore year going into what could be his junior year. But, again, the expectation is it will be his last year of high school basketball. He'll get his grades together and 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 play a year ahead of schedule. So I don't think UConn's necessarily the favorite and on Torres is planting his flag. It's going to happen. He's going to UConn. That's not what I'm saying at all. Duke, I think, feels very good right now, as good as anyone can feel. UConn feels very good right now. G League Ignite will be a factor. And one thing I would say really quickly about recruiting is this. I get a lot of this from fans, right? They see their their school tied to a player that they want. Well, Torres, where is the recruit? Is my school going to get the guy? And what I say is, in general, a lot of times, I don't even think the player knows this early in the process, and I think that's the case. But at the same time, as I said a few weeks ago, I do think UConn is more of a factor than people have given them credit for. One, as Kevin Flaherty, the writer of that article, said, UConn is geographically in New England. Maine is in New England. Um, and obviously, look, there's 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 geographical ties. Flag's family is very involved in what he does. If you watch Peach Jam, the whole family was sitting behind the bench. I believe they said on the broadcast a busload of people from Maine came down to uh, North Augusta, South Carolina, or whatever it's called, the town that hosts the event. Um, so the family's very involved. It would make it easy on the family. Two, as I mentioned, there are very, uh, maybe not obvious, but but as I said, and I don't think anyone's really picked up on this yet, there are family ties between the Flag family and UConn. Donovan Klingon, starting center next year. He was a backup center this year. Really good key piece to help UConn win a national championship, projected, by the way, as a lottery pick next year from the state of Connecticut. His late mother, and unfortunately she did pass away, but played college basketball with Cooper Flagg's mom. Maybe the tie is minimal, but you can't say it's nothing. And I think the other thing that is worth noting on this one as well, and I said this a few weeks ago, Dan Hurley is not acting like a man that is conceding Cooper Flagg as a recruit to anybody. As best I can tell, there were really only two coaching staffs that made Cooper Flagg a priority in this recruiting cycle that were at every one of his games. Dan Hurley was front and center at every one of his games. Multiple coaches from the UConn staff were at 
every single one of his games. UConn, sometimes they say they ran two, three deep, which means you can have four coaches that are recruiters in the building at any given time. And UConn would sometimes go three or four deep with their entire staff watching Cooper Flag. Does that sound like a staff that doesn't believe that they can get him? So this is worth monitoring. It is worth paying attention to. And again, we'll get some updated information in the coming months as to is he going to reclassify and how soon will he play college basketball? If he does, who are the schools that are going to be in the mix? And we'll obviously talk about it going forward. One last quick thought. Uh, if you are a little bit of a recruiting junkie, okay, that's this. Pay attention to what UConn's doing here over these next couple months and frankly, these next couple years. Because this is kind of a little buzzy thing in the UConn community. Dan Hurley may, in the next two or three years, take UConn basketball recruiting to a level that it's probably never really been at. And we might talk about this a little bit on Monday's show because UConn is projected to get a four-star guard named Ahmad Noel this, this weekend. But why I bring it up, and, and I have no insight on that one. I'm not saying Ahmad Noel is a lock to UConn because I know there's going to be some UConn fans that jump in the DMs. Um, but UConn's in an interesting spot because they have now, over multiple years under Dan Hurley, they're now producing a lot of NBA players. And we've talked about this over the years. Dan Hurley has mentioned several times his roster when he came to UConn, it did not look like what a UConn roster should. No disrespect to the former players, but he said we should have NBA bodies, NBA size, NBA length, NBA athleticism. Well, 2021 NBA draft, James Booknight, lottery pick. 2022 NBA draft, Tyrese Martin, the only player from the Big East drafted in the 2022 NBA draft came from UConn. 2023, obviously, Jordan Hawkins was a lottery pick. Andre Jackson, an early second rounder, Adama Sinogo went undrafted but had a good summer league. So I bring it up to say you're producing pros. You're going to probably have two or three more in the coming years just off the 2023-2024 roster. Donovan Klingon, who I just mentioned, Stefan Castle, a freshman this year, are both projected as first-round, maybe lottery talents. Alex Caravan, a starter on last year's national championship team, some believe is an NBA player. You just signed the number three recruiting class in 2023 behind only Duke and Kentucky. Kentucky was one, Duke was two. And then most importantly, um, Cooper Flagg is from the state of Maine. And A.J. DeBonsai, who's the number one player in the class of 2026, will probably reclassify up basically a freshman going into his sophomore year. He's from the state of Massachusetts. So at producing NBA players, elite high school class in 2023, uh, 2024 is off to a great start. They got a four-star Isaiah Abraham, and then also a four-star guard um, Ahmad Noel is projected to commit this weekend. Cooper Flag, maybe UConn's in the mix. AJ Debonsa down the road, maybe in the mix. Just keep an eye. Keep that one in your back pocket. Torres tries to tell you stuff that's going to happen before it happens. And like I said, I think UConn could go on a recruiting run over the next two or three years that, frankly, a lot of people that, frankly, UConn basketball has never done. I just want to do take a quick break, come back, and when I come back, we're going to wrap America's favorite podcast segment, Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong. Quick break. Be right back. Take a quick break back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. Do you want to go ahead and wrap? With America's favorite podcast segment, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, going through some of my best and worst takes of the week. 
For those of you who knew her the show, yes, stole this from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Colin does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong every single week. And I decided to bring it to the Aaron Torres pod for one very simple reason. It is because over the course of a week, a month, a year, six months, two years, whatever, nobody loves giving out more hot sports takes than your boy Torres. And while I get a lot of stuff right, I also get a lot of stuff wrong too. And so that's why we do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, bringing you some of the stuff that I got right, but also sharing some of my worst sports takes of the week. Let's get to it. Aaron right, Aaron wrong. Where Aaron was right. All right, so I want to talk Alabama. I want to talk Nick Saban, and I want to hit on some of the stuff that we discussed earlier in the show. If you go back to last year, I I think I was ahead of Something's not right with Alabama. Everybody keeps waiting for them to flip a switch, and it just isn't happening. And at the time, I said, it's because I don't know what their offensive identity is. I don't know who they are, what they're about, what they're trying to do. It just felt like, hey, it's Bryce Young. Go make a play. Bail us out. In some games, like against Texas, he was able to do it. But in the two losses, most notably LSU, uh, you know, listen, I shouldn't say that. Bryce Young was awesome in those games. Bryce Young was an awesome college quarterback, but I never felt like Alabama's offense had an identity. Why do I bring it up? It's because at SEC Media Days, Nick Saban did an interview with Josh Pate from CBS Sports 24-7 Sports, where he basically said that. He said that he thought last year his offense was too Bryce Young reliant, which hurt the run game, and they wanted to get back to running the football this year. So where Aaron was right, listen, I've been saying this for a year, year and a half, but also where Aaron was right, when Alabama made its coordinator hires in the in the, the wintertime, remember Bill O'Brien left for the Patriots and in comes Tommy Reese from Notre Dame. Uh, the defensive coordinator, Pete Golding, leaves for Ole Miss, and I use leaves in quotation marks because I think Nick Saban kind of kicked him out, uh, and in comes Kevin Steele. And at the time, nobody loved the coordinator hires because they weren't sexy, but what I said is I like them because I think they complement each other well. You get back to more of a run-based offense that's not relying on the quarterback to bail you out 24-7, 365. That keeps the offense on the field longer, longer drives. That helps the defense as well. So listen, I've talked all week. I'm bullish on Alabama. Uh, we'll get to LSU momentarily. But I believe that this is, I don't know if this is a more talented team than a year ago. I think they're going to be better coached at the coordinator positions, and I believe there will be a game plan in place for this team to have success. Where Aaron was wrong. So I just mentioned Josh Pate, 24-7 Sports CBS, did an interview with Nick Saban. He also did an interview with Florida head coach Billy Napier, and I'll be honest, I think I might have been wrong on Billy Napier over the last couple years. I, I was, I think... I'll say this. I don't think I've been overly critical of Billy Napier. He took over a tough situation from Dan Mullen. I think there was much less talent in that locker room than I think a lot of people thought. But I bring it up because listening to Billy Napier talk about his not only his 2023 team, but also the recruiting infrastructure that is now in place. Florida has a top five class right now in the class of 2024. I think I probably underestimated how long of a process it was going to be. Billy Napier said, look, bottom line is when we came in, we were way behind on the 2023 class. I came from Louisiana Lafayette. I wasn't recruiting any of those guys. I had no relationships. And then 2024, we were behind as well. Or 2022 and 2023, I should say. The point I'm trying to make is that 
it really took about a year and it really took that 2024 class for him to really get things rolling. They did well in the portal. And I am a little bit of a buyer on Billy Napier in Florida. Now, at the same time, the schedule this year is brutal at Utah, Florida State at home in the out of conference. Those are two teams that will probably start in the top 20. You got Tennessee, you got Georgia, you got at LSU in the regular season. And so I don't know if it's going to show up on the field this year. But I am starting to buy in Billy Napier and watching him do interviews this week. It felt like there was a quiet confidence about him. Very excited to see the Gators, not only this year, but going forward. Where Aaron was right. Go back to Monday's episode. I just talked to Alabama. But I also said this about LSU. I said everybody wants to just hand the SEC West to LSU. And I get it. They're the reigning champs. They're the reigning SEC West champs at the very least. And they probably deserve the benefit of the doubt. But at the same time, what did I say? I said, look, the starting 22 is it probably as good as anybody in the SEC, which probably makes them as good as anybody in college football. Jaden Daniels back at quarterback, uh, Harold Perkins back on the defensive front, uh, Mason Smith back from injury, Malik Neighbors at wide receiver, Mason Taylor at tight end. But what did I say about LSU? The thing that concerns me, do they have enough depth? This is a team and a program that has taken like 40 plus players out of the transfer portal over the last two off seasons. Georgia has taken two in the last two off seasons. And so I bring it up because where Aaron was right, Brian Kelly said the exact same thing. Brian Kelly was asked about how his team lines up with Georgia. And here is what he said. I know that based upon how we've recruited and how we'll continue to recruit, we'll have a football roster that will be able to compete against Georgia. Is that right now? No, it's not. But if we continue to do what we're doing, we're going to have a roster that can compete with Georgia. Interestingly, for Brian Kelly, I think it's a lot of what I just said with Billy Napier. There were big gaping holes on this roster when he took over. Brian Kelly did an incredible job of fixing things up in one offseason last year. They win the West. But I still think that there are holes that need to be addressed, problems that need to be addressed, and depth is a concern. Well, apparently, Brian Kelly agrees. Because he flat out said, we're not Georgia right now, which means you're not Bama right now. You're not Ohio State right now. You're not Michigan right now. Love Brian Kelly. Love LSU. Think they're a little ways away. Where Aaron was wrong. So last week was Big 12 media days down in Dallas. And where Aaron was wrong, I don't get, I I, I don't love the Texas hype. But apparently the media disagrees with me. They picked Texas to win the Big 12. I don't get it. Sark has never won more than eight games in a regular season. Remember, he's coached at USC, Washington, and now Texas. Has never won more than eight games in a regular season. Never won more than nine games with a bowl game. Quinn Ewers completed under 60% of his passes last year. I'm sorry. I get that it's Texas. I get that they recruit well. I get that they have more talent than anybody else. I need to see it on the field, especially in one of the most balanced conferences in college football. We're on any given Saturday. You don't think Kansas State can take care of business against Texas? You don't think Baylor can? Texas Tech beat them last year. So I just don't get the hype, but maybe I'm missing something. You know, the games start here pretty soon, so we will see who is right and who is wrong. But I thought that finally, after all these years, people would pump the brakes on Texas. I guess not, because they were picked to win the Big 12. Where Aaron was right. Let's switch to college basketball. And did you see what happened on Wednesday Chris Ledlam, a transfer from Harvard, had been committed to Tennessee, goes down to Tennessee, 
Tennessee got some players back at the NBA draft deadline, Josiah Jordan, James most notably. Why do I bring it up? It was because on Wednesday, he announced he was leaving Tennessee and he was committing to trouble, please. Rick Petito and St. John's. That's right. Can you feel the big Rick energy coursing through New York City right now, baby? Listen, bottom line, I thought Patino would be good. I thought he would build an NCAA tournament team in year one. This is a no doubt about a top 25 team from St. John's going into year one. Ledlam averaged 19 points per game last year at Harvard. Uh, Jordan Dingle, another Ivy League player, was the second leading scorer in college basketball. Simeon Wilshire was a high four-star guard who had been committed to North Carolina, decommits and goes to St. John's. R.J. Luis, a transfer from UMass, is, is kind of a projectable player that is now showing up on NBA draft boards. I bring it up to say that Big Rick energy is here, baby. It is alive and well. St. John's is going to be really, really good next year. Where Aaron was wrong, got to give credit where it's due. Second game, Summer League, a few weeks ago, Victor Wembanyama was awesome. Now, I watched the first game, and I wasn't the guy that jumped off the Wemby hype train when it happened, but I also said it's going to be a work in progress. I don't know if the offense will get there as fast as people expect. Uh, yeah, and then a funny thing happened. Wemby dropped 27 points in his second game at Summer League. Credit to Wemby, first game, jitters, new country, 19 years old. I do think there was probably some nervousness to him, but also credit for game two coming out and looking awesome. I'll say this. We don't talk a ton of NBA regular season on this show, and I don't think we will next year, but I am very excited to see Wemby as part of the San Antonio Spurs. Finally, where Aaron was right, and we just talked about it a minute ago, Cooper Flagg. Number one high school player in high school basketball, part of the class of 2025, probably going to reclassify to 2024. Coming out of Peach Jam two weeks ago, everybody said he's either going to Duke or the G League. And Torres, if you listen closely, said, not so fast, my friends. UConn should be considered in the running for him. I'm not saying that they're the favorites, but his, his mom played with Donovan Klingon's mom. He's from New England, and Dan Hurley was not acting like a guy who had conceded Cooper Flag to anybody. He was at all of those games. And so I bring it up to very simply say, I don't know if UConn gets him, but what I will say is I do think that UConn is very much in the mix for Cooper Flag. We still have a few months before this thing picks up. He's going to do visits. Maybe it's G League Ignite. Maybe it's a professional route. But if he goes to college, I don't think it's just Duke and nobody else. I think UConn is making a real run. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It is time for me to get out of here. If you're not subscribed to the show, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. It is time for me to get out of here, but thank you again, guys and girls for all of your support. Be back Monday. We'll have plenty to talk about from over the weekend, but that's all for today. Shout out to Tork. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick. You F had unblock me, bro. Be back Monday. Hope everybody has a great 
weekend. Enjoy the summer. Football's coming. Be back Monday. Aaron Torres Pod.